right, good afternoon, commissioners, DPH staff, and members of the public, and welcome to the Health Commission meeting of Tuesday, December 6th, 2022. Secretary Morrow, would you please call the roll? Sure. Commissioner Green? Present. Commissioner Chow? Oh, uh, sir, you're, uh, you're not on. I think your mic isn't on. Oh, present? Yes, there we go. And Commissioner Gerardo? Present. And in the room, Commissioner Bernal? Present. Um, I have a quick script to read before we move on to the land acknowledgement, please. Um, good afternoon and welcome uh, to the December 6th San Francisco Health Commission meeting. This meeting is being held in hybrid format with the meeting occurring in person here at 101 Grove Street, room 300, broadcast live on SFGov TV, available to view via WebEx or to listen by calling 1-415-655-0003. Before we begin, I'd like to remind all the, all the individuals present and attending the meeting in person today that all health and safety protocols and building rules must be adhered to at all times. This includes wearing a mask covering your nose and mouth at all times during the meeting, including any time you may speak. Failure to adhere to these rules and requirements may result in your removal from the room. We appreciate your cooperation with these important rules and requirements in the interest of everyone's health and safety. We welcome the public's participation through public comment periods. There will be an opportunity for general public comment towards the beginning of the meeting, and then there will be an opportunity to comment on each discussion or action item on the agenda. Each comment is limited to three minutes. Folks who are planning on um, providing public comment, I encourage you to uh, press star three at the beginning of the item, as soon as the item um, title is called, to make sure that your hand goes up in time for us to see you. Public comment will be taken both in person and through call-in. For each item, the commission will take public comment first from people attending the meeting in person and then from people attending the meeting remotely. Those attending the meeting in person are re re uh, requested to submit a public comment card to me. Um, please note that city policies along with federal, state, and local law prohibit discriminatory or harassing conduct against city employees and others during public meetings and will not be tolerated. Moreover, public comment is permitted only on matters within the jurisdiction of the health commission. The next uh, full health commission meeting will be on December 20th, 2022, beginning at 4 p.m. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Secretary Morowitz. And now uh, Commissioner Chow will offer the Ramaytush Ohlone land acknowledgement. Thank you. Can you hear me? Yes. Uh, good. Thank you. Um, the San Francisco Health Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land, and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatush Ohlone has never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush Ohlone community by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Chow. Um, well, as most of you know, this is the time of year where we usually do our on-site meeting at Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital. And while uh, the current state of the world keeps us doing this meeting uh, not on-site because of technological limitations and other things, it is still with great enthusiasm that the commissioner, the commission has this meeting. And thank you to Dr. Ehrlich, who's here. 
Um, and one of my favorite uh, activities of the commission during the year is the opportunity to offer employee recognition awards. Thank you to everyone at ZSFG uh, for the nominations, for excellent teams and individuals at the hospital. And we will begin with our first uh, employee recognition, and that will be by Commissioner Gerardo. And uh, before we begin, Commissioner, just on the Commissioner side, just know that the screen, uh, Alyssa um, uh, will be sharing slides today. Thank you, Alyssa. Um, and for this presentation, Commissioners, you will be reading a narrative, and then the employee names of that team will be shown on screen. So I I'll try to make sure that the timing works. Alyssa, please go to the next slide, and thank you, Commissioner Gerardo. Thank you. I am honored to be able to um, recognize the Behavioral Emergency Response Team, BERT, at um, the hospital. In the past year, the Behavioral Emergency Response Team, led by Joan Torres, has transitioned to a wider role at ZSFG. Their new model incorporates a 24-7 operation that responds to calls and pages throughout the hospital to su offer support advise staff and direct interventions for patients when they are exhibiting distress, agitation, and disruptive behavior. This expansion of services also included embedding members of the BERT team in the medical emergency room to continuously support staff and patients in their care, treatment, and service. Joan and her team not only provide clinical intervention, but role model the de-escalation techniques for staff in high-risk areas that are best practice in situations where unpredictable and potentially violent behavior may occur. The team has developed innovative and easily understood data reports regarding the work they do, combining quantitative data, number of calls, location of calls, and qualitative data, which is the description of patient presentation and outcomes in a narrative form that have informed how the program has developed and expanded. Very few facilities in the Bay Area have such a structured approach to behavioral health emergencies. Joan and her team consistently show both a staff and patient-centered approach to the work that they do and have positively contributed to the ongoing work the Workplace Violence Committee is doing to address the national phenomenon of violence towards healthcare providers. The team also rounds on various clinical areas to maintain a presence and be accessible and available to staff and patients. This proactive approach provides additional support for at-risk patients and real-time education for staff. Thank you to the BERT team for their efforts in undertaking this challenging work and finding ways to continuously improve. The work that this team does daily to positively impact the safety of staff, patients, and visitors here at ZSFG cannot be understated. And I again applaud all of the BERT team members and the absolute essential and wonderful and really groundbreaking work that you're doing uh, for both the patients and staff. Thank you. Let's give this team a round of applause. <laughs> Next slide, Alyssa. All right, well, it is my privilege on behalf of the commission to recognize the DPH Data Migration Team, Information Systems and Health Information Management Services. 
a strategic team behind the scenes for the past five years, our highly talented IT and HIMS professionals migrating data from many individual source systems to the DPH goal of having a universal electronic health records platform. The integrated team had to become content experts, knowledgeable on the requirements for acute care, ambulatory, special, jail and custody health, mental health, skilled nursing, rehabilitation, and population health programs. This deep knowledge was needed to accurately migrate the data with the proper securities and assure functionality. Their success, <clears throat> their success is leg legacy data being available to providers for patient care, older data stored appropriately for medical record requests and audit defense. It is a huge responsibility to successfully match patients across legacy systems and validating the identification for a complete patient and legal medical record. In the process, they have developed best practices for migration with vendors and department subject matter experts. The DPH data heroes exemplify collaboration, setting goals, often completing projects before deadlines, and going above and beyond consistently. By the numbers, the multiple projects <coughs> initial load for the August 2019 Epic Go Live migrated 400,000 patients, 35,000 appointments, 1,300 types of lab tests, 650 types of immunizations, 700 types of notes and summaries, and 20 plus years of patient accounting data. It's my privilege again to recognize the DPH data migration team on behalf of the commission. Give a round of applause. Next slide, Alyssa. And it is also my privilege to recognize the next team, which is the addiction care team. The addiction care team started in January 2019 to provide evidence-based treatment, harm reduction, and linkage to care for hospitalized patients with substance use disorders at ZSFG. Since then, ACT's interprofessional members, including licensed vocational nurses, a nurse practitioner, patient navigators, and physicians have cared for more than 11,500 patients. Ms. Mar Martha Castellanos Perez and, Mr. <coughs> and Ms. Xenia Guadig are licensed vocational nurses on ACT. I apologize if I mispronounced any of those names. The ACT LVN program is an innovative gem in substance use disorder care. At ZSFG, our admitting nurses screen all hospitalized patients for unhealthy alcohol, tobacco, and drug use. Martha and Xenia then visit patients with unhealthy substance use and administer validated tools to assess for substance use disorders. Then they use motivational interviewing to determine patient goals and needs and follow <coughs> protocolized algorithms to offer evidence-based treatment to help patients to move toward healthier behaviors. Martha and Xenia exhibit tremendous professionalism, teamwork, and compassion in centering their patients' goals. ACT's interprofessional interventions have resulted in 41% of patients with alcohol use disorder being prescribed medication treatment and 77% of patients with opioid use disorder being prescribed medication treatment during hospitalization. This compares to less, to two, less than 2% and less than 15% nationally for people with alcohol and opioid use disorders. ACT's work has also contributed to readmission rates among people with addiction at ZSFG, decreasing from 16.5% to 
to 15.5%. These interventions have resulted in a 54% relative reduction in post-discharge all-cause mortality among people with addiction seen by the addiction care team. Again, it's my privilege to recognize the addiction care team, and we have them up on the screen as well. Martha Castellanos Perez and Xenia Guandi. Again, apologies if I have mispronounced the name. Next slide, Alyssa. Commissioner Chow. Yes, thank you. Uh, it's my privilege to uh, acknowledge the 6M Children's Health Center. During COVID, many children did not come into care, leaving them behind on their basic childhood immunizations and at risk for being held out of school. Tonya Vega, the interim nurse manager, Dominic Nash, the patient access manager, and Dr. David Gordon, the medical director of pediatric urgent care, and their 6M team provided the San Francisco public with additional vaccine clinics in the evenings on the week of August 26 to 20, 22 to 26, to ensure that families with working parents had an opportunity to get their children caught up on vaccines. During this event, they served over 150 families in addition to their regular urgent care services. They truly helped ensure the overall public health of San Francisco by providing San Francisco families with this service. We are grateful for their work. We're certainly grateful for their dedication and the extra effort they made to see that our children are safe. Uh, let's. Uh, congratulate our Children's Health Center. Thank you. Next slide, Alyssa. Thank you, Commissioner Chow. And now to Vice President Green. Well, thank you. And I get to recognize the incredible, awesome urgent care vaccine clinic. So since the start of the vaccination program at ZSFG's Urgent Care, staff have created a patient-centered vaccine culture aimed to reduce barriers for those seeking vaccine services. Today, to date, this vaccine site has completed over 207,000 COVID vaccinations for the San Francisco community. To assist with vaccinating healthcare workers against COVID-19, the vaccine clinic's roving staff provided 460 vaccinations for staff who could not access the vaccine clinic during operational hours. When the MPOC state of emergency was declared in July of 2022, this clinic readily stepped in to provide max vaccination services once again. This clinic readily opened doors on weekends and holidays to increase access to vaccination services for working patients within our community. Using best practice workflows and a passion for creating low barriers for vaccination services, this clinic managed to, managed to provide over 20,000 of the currently administered 45,000 MPOX vaccines, or about 44% of the vaccinations in the city, to help address the increasing cases of MPOX in the San Francisco community. The ZSFG Vaccine Clinic currently continues to provide all forms of COVID vaccinations, flu vaccinations, and MPOX vaccinations for patients aged six months and over. 
This one-stop center allows the patients to obtain preventive, preventive vaccinations by providing low barrier, walk-ins are always welcome, and providing choice, all vaccine types available. Most importantly, diverse groups of patients repeatedly compliment the staff for their welcoming and patient-centered attitude in caring for our patient community. This is a remarkable accomplishment, and I, I doubt there are very many health services across the country that have been able to reach as many people in such a, a, a kind and equitable manner as this clinic. Each week in the, in each time we met in the um, Joint Conference Committee, we heard about their, we saw their numbers, and, and they are nothing short of incredible. So we are so grateful to all of you for the work you've done. You, you've gone above and beyond as far as I can see. So thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Green. And if I might just add, as somebody who had waited in the lines for the MPOX vaccines as we were all dealing with national distribution and supply issues, that the folks who were working both the line and in the clinic for the vaccines were thoughtful and empathetic and very kind to people who were coming in apprehensive and with fear about what was happening in our community and the exposures and the risk that they might face. So um, I would like to add to Vice President Green's praise of this team. Uh, now I'd like to recognize Dr. Susan Ehrlich, CEO of ZSFG. Good afternoon. It is Are we? Is that, is that reading? Are we on? want to thank the Commission for recognizing our teams. Um, it is a near impossible task to, uh, to select individual teams because we have so many incredible team members, um, which of course we'll be talking about in the annual report in a few minutes. But I really want to recognize the members of the BERT team, 6M, the data migration team, the urgent care clinic, and the addiction care team, LVNs. Um, it's just a microcosm of the incredibly wonderful and diverse people we have working on the campus every single day. And especially at this time, uh, it's a real privilege to be working with them. So thank you. Now my microphone's off. Thank you very much. And for our next item, we have you presenting again, the resolution approving the David J. Sanchez Jr. Way. One of the things that I've been um, very conscious of, um, especially over the last three years, is that we always at ZSFG take advantage of opportunities that are presented to us uh, to improve or to recognize or to do something remarkable. And in this case, um, the construction of the research and ap academic building created such an opportunity by creating a new roadway between Building 5 and the Research and Academic Building. And uh, it was up to us to name this roadway and, uh, and up to you, actually, to approve this resolution that honors uh, a very longtime and beloved uh, member of the Health Commission, Dr. David Sanchez. Uh, so I, I really want to thank you for acknowledging him and for memorializing his presence on our campus um, in this new roadway. Thank you very much. Now, Secretary Morowitz will read the resolution. Yes. Uh, the title is Designation of Dr. David Sanchez Way on the ZSFG campus. 
whereas David J. Sanchez, <laughs> David Sanchez, uh, David J. Sanchez Jr., PhD, was appointed to the San Francisco Health Commission by Mayor Willie Brown in 1997 and retired from the commission in 2019, having served for 22 years. During his long tenure on the, San uh, on the Health Commission, he served as Commission Vice President, Chair of the Laguna Honda Hospital Joint Conference Committee, and Chair of the Finance and Planning Committee. He was also a devoted member of the Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital Joint Conference Committee and represented the Health Commission on the San Francisco General Hospital Foundation. And whereas Dr. Sanchez joined the University of California San Francisco Department of Family and Community Medicine at the San Francisco General Campus in 1969, and retired in 2005. During his 36-year tenure, he held many positions at ZSFG, including UCSF Assistant Vice Chancellor of Academic Affairs. He was instrumental in connecting the hospital campus to the community through the development of significant programs, such as the Child and Adolescent Support Advocacy and Resource Center, also known as CASARC, Urban Health Program, and the Latino Assessment Center. And whereas Dr. Sanchez was a dedicated advocate and leader within San Francisco throughout his life, he served as president of the police commission and president of the board of education. He was a member of many boards of directors, including the community college board, the San Francisco foundation, the California commission on aging, Catholic charities, Columbia boy, I'm sorry, Columbia park boys and girls club, San Francisco education fund, San Francisco maritime association and the American GI forum. He was also a respected leader within the San Francisco Latinx communities and was an active member of the Centro Latino and Mission Language and Vocational uh, School Boards of Directors. And whereas Dr. Sanchez was a lifelong resident of San Francisco, a Navy veteran, and very proud that members of his family helped build the original buildings on the ZSF, ZSFG campus. And whereas Dr. Sanchez passed away peacefully on December 12, 2020, survived by his wife, children, grandchildren, and many other family members. Be it resolved, the Health Commission supports the designation of the Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital Campus Roadway connecting Building 5 and the new UCSF Research and Academic Building as Dr. David Sanchez Way, honoring the connection Dr. Sanchez brought between UCSF, ZSFG, and the general San Francisco community. Thank you, Secretary Morowitz. Before we move into a motion and second, and then public comment and then commissioner comments, would like to uh, acknowledge that uh, David's wife, Barbara, along with his children and grandchildren, um, are watching virtually as we are uh, considering and enthusiastically passing this resolution. Uh, and uh, with that, uh, we will go for a motion to approve. So moved. Second. All right, Secretary Moritz, do we have public comment? Yes, folks on the line, if you'd like to make public comment on this item, please press star three, and I see one hand. Again, press star three. Uh, each of you will get three minutes. Uh, I have a, a timer here. When the timer goes off, please know that, that your time is, um, is up, and I will mute you. I will take you in the order that I see you. All right. Caller, please let us know that you're there. Uh, hello, commissioners. My name is Alyssa Matros. With all due respect, I am wondering how a public health commission can continue to avoid its duty oh, to so, protect so, public health. 
Oh, so I'm sorry, and I, I will give you your time back, um, um, and a uh, person on the line, I apologize. I have a statement to read, which is gonna clarify um, that each of you need to be speaking about um, public comment for the item that you're on. Uh, it sounded like your comments were about to go off of this item, and I apologize, I don't have that handy. So I will take this back. For each agenda item, members of the public will have an opportunity to make comment for up to three minutes. The public comment process is designed to invite input and feedback from individuals in the community. However, the process does not allow questions to be answered in the meeting or for members of the public to engage in back and forth conversation with the commissioners. The commissioners do consider comments from members of the public when discussing an item and making requests to the DPH. Please note that each individual is allowed one opportunity to speak per agenda item. Individuals may not return more than once to read statements from other individuals unable to attend the meeting. And so folks, this is really important because I don't wanna be rude or don't wanna appear being rude, but your comments have to apply to the item in which we're on. Right now we're on the David Sanchez way item. So all public comments need to relate to that. And if they don't, then I'll have to stop you and, um, and, and mute you because that's how this process goes. Oh, I'm, I'm hearing the sound is going in and out, by the way. Um, so I will try you again, caller, and see if your comments are about this item. Hi, caller, are you there? Um, I just wanted to honor David Sanchez and his family. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, do you have other comments to make or is that, was that the comment? Uh, not on this item. It's not clear to me if item four, if we're on item four general comment or is general comment item four just about item three we are only I'm not on item clear three. right now we're on item three the resolution approving the david sanchez way so it sounds like your honoring is all that you need to say at this point and the next item will be a general public comment thank you okay great okay hope that's clear uh hi uh, caller you're unmuted please let us know that you're there <coughs> i am it's patrick Manetshaw. okay hi, hi mr Manetshaw. you've got three minutes thank you when Dr. Sanchez served on the Laguna Honda JCC, he thankfully agreed with me that DPH should release aggregate data annually on out-of-county discharges from SFGH and Laguna Honda, which I began receiving due to his help. May he be resting in peace. As I have testified in the past, Health commissioners should have term limits. After all, most elected offices, from presidents to governors to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, are limited to two four-year consecutive terms for a total of eight years. Sanchez served nearly three times as long, and current health commissioner Ed Chow has served for 30 years. Although there is something to be said for having commission members with historical and institutional knowledge, the commission deserves to have new blood and new members periodically. While naming David Sanchez Lay is a thoughtful touch, the elected health commission members or the appointed health commission members should voluntarily step down after serving for eight years. Not doing so voluntarily is shameful. Thank you. 
All right, thank you. Uh, that is the, all, the last uh, caller for this item. Thank you, Secretary Morowitz. Uh, we will go into commissioner comments, but I just wanted to share that when I was first appointed to the commission in 2017, uh, David welcoming me in a very kind and thoughtful way. David, he, he was always a teacher. You would always learn something from David in every conversation you had, and he would really, uh, you'd learn from him through his storytelling, and he had such a rich history of his leadership in serving not just the Latinx community in San Francisco, but all San Franciscans, and we all are, um, have benefited from, from his wisdom, from his insight, and from his thoughtful care. Uh, for the people that he served. I want to again thank Barbara and his family for uh, their sacrifice and for sharing him, his time, and his leadership with us over the many years. Um, and I know that uh, the commission shares my sentiment. And uh, commissioners, do we have comments on this resolution? Commissioner Green has her hand up. Commissioner Green. Well, I think it's such a wonderful tribute to um, Commissioner Sanchez, and I had a similar experience to President Bernal when I came along. I had the privilege of sitting to Dr. Sanchez's left when I was a deer in headlights coming into this commission, and he was so welcoming and so kind, and um, it was so remarkable, this incredibly accomplished individual, and I think the resolution only touches some of the amazing contributions he's made and, and the people he mentored and the uh, things he, he contributed in his contributions. And um, he was so so humble and, and so approachable. And I think it made joining the commission uh, a, a much smoother experience for me. And he had these wonderful aphorisms, which I wrote down some. He always used to say, the life of the crew is a ship and the life of the ship is the crew. And you know, he, he had wonderful stories. And I think we all learned from him. And you know, I think history is really important. And I think it helps inform us helps us make better decisions. And I don't think his contribution will ever be forgotten. And I, I'm so delighted that we are gonna memorialize him and all he's done by naming uh, this very important uh, uh, spot in the uh, SFG campus after him. So uh, it, it's really an honor. Thank you, Vice President Green. Other commissioners? I did not see. Commissioner Chow. Yes, uh, <clears throat> uh, thank you. And uh, I'm sorry, my little hand is not working again. Uh, it, uh, it really is uh, very gratifying to uh, see this resolution for several years. Uh, many of us have been looking to see how we could honor uh, uh, Dr. Sanchez, who actually in many ways was uh, uh, not only Mr. San Francisco, Mr. Mission Street, was uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Latino uh, a representative and and also uh, a, a, a Navy man. He never had us forget he was part of the Navy. I was very privileged to have him come on the commission while I was here, and uh, we became very uh, and and his family uh, good uh, colleagues and always uh, very respectful of what uh, Dr. Sanchez uh, could always offer. Uh, in terms of advice and uh, many of the anecdotes that uh, uh, Commissioner Green uh, cited uh, just one. But uh, <laughs> I, I also have a fond memory of remembering as we were going to a commission event uh, celebrating uh, a, uh, the, the uh, 
uh, retirement of one of our commissioners that as we walked along Mission Street, he stopped at almost every store and was able to converse. He was able to tell me the history of each of the stores, how different people had transitioned to either management or ownership, and, uh, and how uh, it was a diversity of people, uh, not only uh, from uh, the uh, Latin American community, but from the Asian community, the African American community, all, all contributing to his mission. And it truly was his because he felt that uh, it was his uh, duty to make sure that the mission was properly represented. And he uh, had the same feeling about San Francisco General, that it was the mission's hospital and that its mission definitely related to uh, the mission of the mission. So uh, it's with uh, great uh, pride that I uh, want to uh, support this resolution and feel that uh, uh, that uh, wanting to give my uh, also uh, good wishes uh, to uh, Dr. Sanchez's family, to Barbara and his entire extended family, and uh, that uh, we are privileged to be able to honor David today. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Chow. Other comments? All right. Seeing none. May, uh, I, may I comment? Oh, oh yes, no, uh, Director Colfax. Well, thank you, um, Commissioners, for your comments. And just on behalf of the Department, I want to thank you for your support of, of this resolution. And um, I, uh, I deeply appreciate um, the tenure of Commissioner Chan says, and just wanted to share a, 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 a small anecdote. Um, when I came in, I think about 1998, to present in, to, at the first Health Commission meeting around uh, HIV prevention, um, it was intimidating, and um, it was a great experience um, due in, in, in part to, to Commissioner Sanchez's kindness, um, his guidance, his insights. Um, and I think that in, in, in that context, um, that's an exemplar of how he uh, helped lead the department and guided the department through some really uh, challenging times. And I'm just thankful that um, through, through naming this venue, it really is connecting uh, the mentoring, um, the commitment, uh, the community the research um, and the care pieces uh, all coming together in this space. So thank you, Dr. Ehrlich, um, for, for moving this forward, and, and thank you to, to the commission for supporting this resolution. Great. Thank you, Dr. Colfax. Secretary Morowitz, would you please call the roll? Yes. Um, Commissioner Green? Yes. Commissioner Dorado? Yes. Commissioner Chow? Yes. And Commissioner Bernal? With gratitude and enthusiasm, yes. All right, the item passes. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you very much. Uh, moving on to our next item, general public comment. Secretary Morowitz. All right. I will read another statement before we go into that. At this time, members of the public may address the commission on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the commission but are not on this meeting agenda. Each member of the public may address the commission for up to three minutes. The Brown Act forbids a commission from taking action or discussing any item not appearing on the posted agenda. 
including those raised during public comment. Please note that each individual is allowed one opportunity to speak per agenda item. Individuals may not return more than once to read statements from other individuals unable to attend the meeting. Written public comment may be sent to me um, at mark, M-A-R-K dot M-O-R-E-W-I-T-Z at sfdph.org. If you wish to spell your name in the minutes, you may do so during your verbal comments without taking a lot of time. So folks, this is the time to talk about something that's not on the agenda. Again, if you go into a topic that's on the agenda, our problem will stop you and say that that belongs in that, um, in that agenda item public comment. So I will now look for public comment uh, <coughs> hands. Again, um, remember that I have a buzzer. When the buzzer goes off, your time is up. Person on the line, you're, um, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Hi, yes. Um, I need to ask if it's appropriate at this time to talk about masking or is there another time on this agenda where that would be more appropriate? Uh, you could talk about masking now. Thank you for asking and I, and I haven't started your time. I'll do so now. Thank you very much. Um, hello, commissioners. My name is Alyssa Matros. With all due respect for all that you do for San Francisco, I am wondering how your commission can continue to avoid its duty to protect public health by not issuing an indoor mask mandate. Even a casual reader of the media is alerted to the rapidly escalating rate of COVID infections, hospitalizations, and side effects like long COVID, heart conditions, lower sperm counts. Masks would protect my toddler grandchildren from the triple threat of COVID, flu, and RSV. Other jurisdictions like LA County are now considering bringing back mask mandates in response to rising numbers. Today, the Sacramento City Unified School District said it was also considering bringing back a mask mandate. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky is now encouraging people to mask. As a health commission that numbers physicians in your group, you must have access to current health data on COVID. I urge you to act on that data and please bring back masks. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comment. Uh, let's see. Caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Caller? Yes, can you hear me? Yes, yes, please. Yes, can you, can you hear me? Yes. Thank you. Um, yes, I am calling also um, to urge you to bring back a mask mandate. Um, the test positivity rate in San Francisco is a staggering 10.9%, um, and cases are rising faster than they were in the BA5 wave. Um, we really have to bring back a mask mandate um, to, pr to protect San Franciscans. Um, I'm also would really like you to, to provide free N95 masks in all government building schools and on transit. Um, I know that the Department of Public Health said that they were going to be doing this last summer, but we have not seen any evidence. I'm just curious with all the with the pediatric hospitalization crisis and COVID with RSV and other viruses leading to deaths um, all over. Like, what is the Department of Public Health waiting for? Why not just bring back masks right now. We, we should bring them back on public transit. We should bring them back in schools. We are, we just, there's, there's no reason not to with the rates rising the way they are. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. 
right, next caller. You're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, please begin. Hi, my name is Jen. I'm a member of Senior Disability Action, and I just wanted to echo um, the other people that came before me's comment and really urge San Francisco Department of Public Health to reinstate the indoor mask mandate right now. We're at high test positivity right now at nearly 11%. I know according to the CDC's BS community levels map that heavily weights hospitalizations that San Francisco is quote unquote low on that map, but we know that hospitalizations are a lagging indicator and we really need to not wait until you know the whole building is on fire. If we smell smoke, we really need to prevent the, the building from, from catching fire. We know that long COVID can incur even in mild or asymptomatic cases. So more than hospitalizations is an important metric. There is emerging research, research showing that COVID infections may increase your risk of cardiovascular events, including blood clots, stroke, heart attack. There's some emerging research that suggests we still have a lot to learn, but that suggests it may impair your immune system. And so, you know, there's a lot of ways that COVID can really wreak havoc on people's bodies, even if they don't end up on a ventilator in the acute phase. You know, I, I, San Francisco did such a great job early on in the pandemic, really mitigating COVID spread. And I just fear so much for our next generation. It makes me want to cry thinking about the kids who really depend on, on the adults to keep them safe. They can't make decisions for, them, for themselves all the time. They're going to school. I, I just, I don't want the next generation to grow up with all these health problems. We're in a triple-demic right now of COVID, RSV, and flu. And I just really urge you guys to get ahead of this and be proactive and be in line with your morals and values and reinstate the indoor mask requirement. Send free N95 masks to SF residents. Make it easy for people to protect yourself themselves. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your comments. Hi, caller. Please let us know that you're there. Hi there, my name is Amelia and I am a San Francisco resident and an educator. As health officials, I'm sure you all know that wastewater data can be helpful. Uh, ours is showing that our COVID surge is worse than our 10.9% positive positivity rate, which is already really bad. We need to instate a mask mandate and provide good high quality N95, KN95 masks to the people in masks. I'm sure you remember at the start of this school year over or at the start of this calendar year, over 400 teachers were out at one point in one day. We don't have substitute teachers to cover for that. I'm glad that SFUSD is considering enacting a mask mandate, but I urge you to please help them with access to masks, with testing. Please take care of your city. Please help us stay safe. This, we need to do this together. One-sided masking is helpful, but it's not the most safe we can be. We can do better. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. All right, next caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Hello, I'm here. Hi. Hello, Commissioners. Thank you. My name is Stephanie Wilkes. I speak on an item within the subject matter of this commission that is not on the agenda and that I hope will be in the future the ongoing rapidly worsening situation of rat feeding and birdseed dumping by Liliana Bouvet of 564 Chenery Street. 
Publicly available DPH documents about this date back to March 2020 and amount to over 100 pages. Liliana feeds rats in Glen Park and the Excelsior near the campus for Jewish living, among other places on the 44 and 52 bus lines. Many people are working on this problem, including Supervisor Mandelman, DPH, SFPD, and BART. SFPD says they will continue to cite Liliana if and when they catch her in the act, though they also say we cannot arrest our way out of this problem. DPH sends investigators out, issues notices, and is working with Liliana on the behavioral health side. Dave Burke, wonderful Dave Burke from Mandelman's office, asked BART to cite her, though BART, BART officers also declined to stop her in the act. Despite all of this, Liliana's behavior has escalated over the past month. Business owners now clean up after her two to three times per day at the Glen Park BART parking lot six days per week. She also spreads birdseed in other parts of the BART lot and along Bosworth Street. We hope DPH could ensure that BART deals with this immediately, multiple times per day dumping and ongoing cleanup of their property, possibly through assigning a BART resource like a parking lot officer instead of merchants and neighbors, but we need help. City response needs to rise commensurately with Liliana's behavior. Citations, APS services, and even Liliana's multiple cases in the SF court system do not stop her. I hope this commission can help determine what comes next and when, what new tactics may be available, and help us find a way to mitigate this issue and apply real consequences. Thank you for your time and your work. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Uh, I am. It's Patrick Manette Shaw. <clears throat> what? Yeah, please begin. I'm informing the commission I placed an FOIA request to Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services on December 1st, the same date that I placed a concurrent identical records request to SFDPH. This testimony is not about other agenda items on today's agenda. I had requested the root cause analysis to report due to CMS on December 1st from the quality improvement expert Uguna Honda hired. I was shocked when DPH public records staff responded on December 2nd saying, quote, SFGH does not have possession, custody, or control of the records responsive to your request. You are free to submit a records request to CMS to obtain a copy of the record you seek, end quote. The FOI request was placed given the critical importance of keeping Laguna Honda open for its current and future residents. Hopefully, CTA CMS will produce the root cause analysis DPH claimed it didn't have possession, custody, or control of. It's shameful DPH didn't produce the root cause analysis. The Health Commission should look into this at once because it's part and parcel of the Laguna Honda settlement agreement and um, it, it doesn't appear that Laguna Honda had gotten an extension beyond December 1st. So why wasn't that report produced uh, 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 
on schedule according to the deadline required. Thank you. All right, commissioners, that um, ends the comments for general public comment. Thank you, Secretary Morowitz, and thank you, callers. Our next item for discussion is the ZSFG FY 2021-2022 annual report. And for this, we welcome back Dr. Susan Ehrlich. And Alyssa, please pull up that. Oh, great. And again, we wish we were having this meeting over on campus, but know that we are unable to do so, but we hope to be back over there soon. Next year on campus. Next, next year, <laughs> yes. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, President Bernal, health commissioners, Dr. Colfax, Mr. Morowitz, I am really delighted to be here to present our annual report. Um, it is a wonderful chronicle of the work we did during an especially challenging year when we were transitioning from being all COVID all the time to being COVID some of the time and a lot of other things the rest of the time. Uh, so I'm really delighted to be able to present this. Um, and Alyssa, thank you so much for uh, advancing the slides. Next slide, please. Uh, th this, these are our mission, vision, and values um, to provide quality health care and trauma services with compassion and respect to be the best hospital by exceeding patient expectations and advancing community wellness in a patient-centered healing environment, and then our values of joy in our work, compassionate care, and thirst in learning. Next slide, please. Um, this slide gets into our numbers, um, which always amaze me. Um, overall, we served more than 100,000 people, which is equivalent to about 20% of the city's population. Um, as you all well know, we are a unique resource for trauma uh, in the city and in northern, uh, northern San Mateo County and um, the only 24-7 psychiatric emergency uh, department in the city. Um, this year, we've had an increasing number of emergency department and ambulatory visits, and in particular, many more of our ambulatory visits in person, uh, which is appropriate given the way... Um, uh, rules have changed over that time. Um, we cite here 69,000 public vaccinations for COVID, um, but if you add up all the public vaccinations we've given and the staff vaccinations, it's more than a quarter of a million vaccines um, since the beginning of the pandemic, which is truly remarkable. Um, and another thing I'll call out is that we had more babies born in our hospital this year uh, by a significant amount, and that, that is wonderful to be able to welcome families into uh, the beautiful space where we, um, we have uh, kids born. Next slide. These are our financials. Um, we are a one billion with a B organization. Uh, the vast majority of our revenue comes from Medicaid and Medicare. Um, we are a unique resource for those impacted by social determinants of health, and we are really proud to be able to provide, uh, to use these resources to provide um, the primary care, medical and uh, surgical specialty care, inpatient care, critical care, psychiatric care. We do a remarkable amount of care on campus with this. Next slide, please. Uh, this just shows the predominance of Medi-Cal and Medicare revenue in our budget, um, both for inpatient and outpatient days. Um, that hasn't really changed from year to year. Um, we are still providing that. Next slide. 
Um, and one other thing I want to point out about uh, the dollars is that um, in 2021, less than 10% of our budget was funded by the general fund, um, which shows a few things. One, that we're doing a lot of uh, care for people who are in uh, publicly funded programs, and also that we are being the best stewards we can of the city's general fund by claiming all the revenue that we possibly can. Um, so this slide begins uh, some uh, uh, focus on our incredible partner, uh, University of California, San Francisco. Um, and not just medicine, which we think about quite a bit, but also uh, the schools of nursing, dent dentistry, and pharmacy. Um, this year marked our 150th anniversary at CSFG. Mm -hmm. And for all but one of those 150 years, we have served our patients in partnership with UCSF. And it's the key thing, I think, uh, that makes us an exceptional organization and resource, particularly among safety net hospitals. It's a very large, very complicated, uh, but incredibly unique and special partnership. Um, this slide focuses on research. Um, in the report, you can find more. We have at our campus 300 researchers, the recipients of 980 awards that total uh, around $200 million. Um, and it's part of what makes UCSF as an organization overall um, one of the largest recipients of NIH funding. Um, again, UCSF is um, a partner with us in focusing on improving care to our unique patient population. And the research they do is also focused on improving care to that population. And you can see this in the examples here. Um, on page 13 of the report, you'll notice that a lot of the research is focused on uh, behavioral health. Uh, that's a big focus of our care on campus, and it is a big focus of the research that gets done on campus. Next slide. Um, this is uh, the other incredibly important partner, uh, the San Francisco General Hospital Foundation. Um, this foundation is uniquely successful for a public, uh, a, a foundation supporting a public hospital. And since 1993 has raised $280 million for our patients and our team and our community. And in particular, uh, the SFGH Foundation is also really focused on equity, as are we, and gave out 500 grants totaling $12 million for equity and innovation over this time. Next slide. Uh, this begins our section on COVID. Uh, and uh, in 2021, we experienced uh, COVID surges, number four, four, numbers four, five, and six. Um, and it, the report on pages 17 through 20 provides a summary of all we did in the areas of guidance, surge planning and execution, vaccinations, treatment, visitor management, testing, and workforce support. It's, it's clear uh, that over time, the COVID has become less of a focus for the public um, and, and less of a primary focus for us, but indeed it is still, uh, this past year, it, it still occupied a lot of our space and time. And um, this is a great chronicle of that. Um, slide nine, next, next slide, please. Uh, this focuses on vaccines, boosters, and testing, um, which we've talked about quite a bit. Um, and as I mentioned, um, there were in this year 9,000 vaccinations to employees, 47,000 to patients, and a quarter of a million since the beginning of the pandemic. On slide 10, next slide please, we talk about some of the other highlights of our work over the course of the year. 
uh, the Mahoney Rain Nursing Student Externship Program, uh, the uh, great visibility we had on campus and the participation we had in the National Gun Violence Awareness Day. And um, we became a healthcare equality leader in 2022 for LGBTQ plus care. Next slide. Uh, th this part of the report, we had a lot of survey activity on campus this year. Um, as you know, there was quite a bit of pause in our survey activity um, over the course of the pandemic, and it came back with a vengeance this year. Uh, so we had, this talks about the different uh, surveys we had and the successes we had from those surveys. Um, it inc they included uh, surveys in our areas of imaging, um, the residential care facility for the elders and the uh, Merck, the locked SNF uh, uh, facility, and both of those in the BHC on campus, the lab, and we actually had a CMS validation survey, uh, secondary to a report um, of uh, an event during a blood transfusion, and all those went really well, and as usual with our surveys, we learn a lot during our surveys and use them as an opportunity to improve. Next slide. So uh, we had a lot of building on uh, at our campus this year, and it's really exciting because there was a very long pause during the pandemic that really um, was impactful in our quest to become uh, especially an ambulatory center of excellence and a research center of excellence. So we have a number of pages in the report where um, we show uh, how we have been getting back on track over the course of the year. Um, so in building five, there were 11 areas highlighted. Um, this will be work that continues and evolves over the next several years, and um, they're listed out on this slide. There was really quite a lot of work done. And then, uh, then there's the research uh, and academic building, which UCSF is constructing on the campus. And um, it looks much closer to that picture that you see in the right uh, lower corner of the slide. It, 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 looks for all intents and purposes complete from the outside. Um, that building will be occupied this year and it will be the place where we move um, all the UCSF research faculty and staff out of the old, uh, oldest buildings we have on campus, uh, constructed in 1915-ish, um, and into that building. It's very exciting and I know there's a lot of uh, work that the Dean's office is doing right now, citing people within that building. Next slide. So equally as important during this year, we continued our strategic work. And this, of course, is the heart of uh, what we organize as an executive team and execute on campus. And I'm really pleased to say that in the six areas, um, our six true north goal areas, equity, safety, quality, care experience, developing our people and financial stewardship, we did really well. Um, particularly uh, in the areas of equity, safety, and financial stewardship, we met our goals um, for that year. Um, we, of course, have new goals for next year, which we'll be working with the JCC on, um, but I'm very excited um, that we were able to continue um, this work. And of course, it's done with our lean philosophy and tools and um, with our principle-based leadership philosophy. Next slide. Um, these are our celebrations. Um, even though we were limited to some degree in the way we can celebrate people, we still celebrate them nonetheless. Our medical staff meeting where we awarded the Rappaport Award to Dr. Barbara Haller, who's our uh, director of the clinical lab. Uh, 
the annual employee celebration where we celebrate employees who have been working with us for as for at least 10 and up to 40 years in some cases uh, nurses week and our environmental services week and and many other weeks but uh, this one I love for EVS because that uh, that piece of art was done by one of the EVS workers mm. uh, next slide um, in the report, you see a lot more um, uh, patient perspectives. This is, of course, the reason we exist. It's the top of our True North Triangle. It's all about our patients. And um, this is just three of the things that they said about us this year, um, that our doc the doctor and nurse were both very professional and caring, that uh, the service was excellent, um, it was in our language, and that people were treated with great respect, uh, regardless of their race and their skin color. Of course, these are all the things that we aspire to every day. Next slide. This is our executive team, uh, as it was in 2021. Um, this, uh, I, I just have an incredible amount of gratitude to this diverse and exceptional team. Without them, uh, nothing would get done at ZSFG in the excellent, compassionate, and pa patient-focused way that it gets done. Um, we all work uh, as a team, and even though we have uh, separate expertise and, and tasks that we do, we all take responsibility that all of our goals and all of our strategies get achieved. And uh, for this, I'm, I'm just really terrifically grateful to this team that is so remarkable. Next slide. And this is, of course, you, the Health Commission. Um, I so appreciate the support you give. Um, we are with the JCC in particular every month, and um, they are very <coughs> in-depthly interested in what we do. We get great questions. We get great suggestions for improvement. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's wonderful to have you all as our governing body, and I really appreciate it. Next slide. So in summary, um, it has been a very challenging year. Um, it's been, in a lot of ways, a year of recovery. Um, and it's also a year where we learned a lot about ourselves and we continue to do better together, as we always do. Um, and we really want to, I really want to make sure that I extend a lot of gratitude to our patients and to our community. I think that um, these last few years, it's been really clear that we've been quite a resource for the community and that we have gotten so much appreciation and love for being that special resource. And um, it just feels even more of a privilege to serve, um, especially after the past few years of the pandemic. And so then I'm going to um, extend more gratitude to our team. Um, so uh, Chris Ross and Christine Falvey were the two people who put this, to get this report together. They were both brand new in their roles, and nonetheless, they picked up all the pieces and figured out how to produce you know, this most beautiful report. Very, very grateful to them. Again, thanks to the executive team who made the work possible. I have a great deal of thanks to the DPH and network leaders who support us every day and to the Health Commission. So thank you, gratitude. Um, <coughs> I feel very privileged and proud to be here, and I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Dr. Ehrlich. Uh, Secretary Morowitz, do we have any public comment on this item? Yes, but before
before I do, I asked to give uh, Dr. Ehrlich a hug because I haven't seen her in years. Oh, of course. <laughs> so excited to be in the same room. Of course, of course. So folks on the line, um, if you would like to make public comment on this item, please press star three now. Uh, we are on, sorry, let me get this right. We are on item five, the ZSFG uh, fiscal year annual report. Um, I see a few hands, but I want to make sure that y'all know where we're at. Um, I'll take you one at a time. Hi, caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Yes, uh, hello, commissioners. Um, my name is Alice, and I'm an active member of Fear and Disability Action. Um, I'm not sure what happened. I tried pressing star free for the general comment and it didn't go through. So if you could check your phone system, that'd be very helpful. Uh, regarding this item um, uh, and the COVID treatment of COVID and the pandemic, I was really, I am really concerned that it doesn't sound like um, the speaker is taking COVID seriously in the way that a pandemic that is not only causing hospitalizations and deaths, but causing immense amount of long COVID and other um, severe health hazards and health problems, long-term ones uh, from COVID. There was nothing mentioned about long COVID and nothing mentioned about um, other deaths that are partly or um, completely um, uh, attributable to COVID, but wouldn't necessarily be uh, counted as COVID. For example, I'd just like to read a brief uh, portion of the um, October 6, uh, 2022 Fortune article titled, quote, Strokes, Heart Attacks, Sudden Death. Does America Understand the Long-Term Risk of, um, of Catching COVID, end quote. Um, uh, it discusses the serious long-term health hazards of COVID. For example, it says, quote, in a huge analysis of more than 30,000 vaccinated patients who had experienced COVID breakthrough infections, pre-Omicron, scientists found that six months later, even the vaccinated incurred a higher risk of death and debilitating long COVID symptoms, including multiple organs, uh, parentheses, lungs, heart, kidney, brain, and others, and parentheses, when compared to controls without evidence of SARS-CoV-2 infection. Um, even the fittest are not immune. Researchers have noticed a troubling pattern of sudden cardiac death in athletes in the wake of the pandemic, um, owing possibly to COVID-related heart complications, myocarditis, and I'm not sure how to pronounce this, P-E-R-I-C-A-R-D-I-T-I-S. Uh, atrial fibr uh, fibrillation has long been associated with COVID, uh, end quote. Um, hospital, the hospital needs to be monitoring and reporting on long COVID and these other serious uh, post-COVID uh, health hazards, including death. Um, it needs to be educating people about the health hazards of COVID and these other serious long-term uh, health effects. Um, the, so much of the report was this cheery positive one. When people are dying and being seriously debilitated, the hospital needs to take COVID Seriously, I cannot imagine how an institution that um, needs to provide for, oh, that's my time. Thank yes. you very much. Thank you for your comments. Caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Hi, if you could not start time yet, I think my sister has been trying to raise her hand, so I want to pass the phone to her so she can speak. Um, sorry, just give me a second. Sarah? 
one second. Sorry, I'm almost at her bedroom. Sarah, do you want to speak? Okay, you're going to have to, so you don't, so you don't echo. You might okay. want to. Let's you might want to end your phone. Going. I'm, I'm on mute on my phone. No, no, it's echoing here. Let me keep it. Wait, I need to mute. Okay, hi. Okay, I'm starting the timer Sarah. for three minutes now. Three minutes. Okay, thank you. Um, hi, my name is Sarah. I raised my hand in the last call, or the last item, so I'm not sure what's happened with the phone system, but I'm also with Senior and Disability Action. Um, I listened to the last speaker talk about how, you know, no one's really worried or talking about COVID, and I'm not sure if oh, that so, person or you uh, all live so, uh, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you for one second. I just want to make sure that uh, I appreciate that you raised your hand before and, and it sounds like you feel like you weren't recognized. This, the item that we're on is the ZSFG annual report. So all public comments need to be related to that item. So I'm, I'm hearing you start off not talking about I, that. She raised her hand. She raised her hand in the previous All thing, right, and so, she didn't get called on. Right, that's not. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, if if you have comments about this item, then we can move forward. If not, then I can talk to you later I do. about that. I'm talking. She's talking okay. about what the person said. I'm presentation. I'm talking about what the person said, and you're interrupting me. All right, I'm going to hold on. I get that it's You could just let her speak, please. Uh, She's can, just trying to speak. Do you she have any? Uh, can you help me weigh in on this? Any thoughts? Yes, the current item that we're on is the annual report of Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital. So we need to limit the, any public comment to this particular item at this time. Right. So I'm, I've unmuted you again. Do you have comments about this item? Not what the other person said no, about I just, this item. My sister's chronically ill. She has such okay. little. I know. I'm sorry. I just, I just, I muted you, and uh, I'm going to move on. I apologize. She has such little bandwidth. Just. Look. Okay. This is torturous. That's the only public comment on these two items. I mean, on this item. All right. Thank you, Secretary Morowitz. Uh, commissioners, comments or questions for Dr. Ehrlich on the annual report? I'm looking for hands. I'm not seeing any, but I have a feeling Commissioner Chow will probably want to speak. Commissioner Chow. Yes, I tried to uh, raise my hand. No, I, I just want to commend the uh, administration staff and, and, and just all the work that uh, General does. I think that the report uh, reflects it. There's uh, 45 uh, very uh, thorough uh, discussion of the uh, work that uh, they have done over the past year. It's uh, different from the previous in as much as uh, it now describes not just COVID, which was, of course, last year's uh, very prominent uh, issue, but the fact that the hospital continues to uh, now uh, go back and uh, not because they're ignoring COVID, but for their need to also then uh, take uh, back ownership on the quality of care that is needed and the delivery of services for uh, those who now are entering the hospital or our system uh, beyond and in addition to COVID. So uh, it's, uh, it's quite a feat to uh, do both and not um, uh, miss a step, I would say, in their response to COVID, and at the same time now get back into also the ability to monitor the care that they are delivering and to be able to find the staff and the people 
people are able to deliver that care and deliver it as well as they do. So I just want to commend to all the commissioners and to the city the uh, report from uh, San Francisco General for the great work that they have done during this year, a transition year where they also met the COVID response as needed and then are returning to uh, uh, the uh, True North programs that they have put in place and are continuing to uh, uh, do quality improvement uh, and uh, getting a vote done. So it's been a tough year for them, but I want to thank them for uh, creating this transition and the ability to do both at the same time. So thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Chow. Commissioners, other questions or comments? Commissioner Green also has her hand up. Vice President Green. Well, thank you. First of all, I think we said at the JCC, this report is so beautifully done. Um, everything that's been included, the photography, just it, it's a truly inspirational report that I think reflects an amazing institution. Sometimes in these meetings, I, li I like to write down words that reflect exceptionalism that others have said. And I could spend five minutes going down the list of all the things that are remarkable about this hospital, the leaders, the organization in general, uh, the culture you've been able to maintain and the way you've been able to not only reach your true north goals, but also do it with such um, dedication and humility and um, sensitivity to community needs as they've escalated and, and uh, you've been able to proceed with uh, all the community needs despite all of the barriers that COVID has, pre has uh, presented to you. And uh, it's just remarkable that, it, especially as you look at other hospitals around the country, other medical systems, how they've really you know, crumbled under the weight of COVID. And yet you've been able to accomplish your goals as well as uh, maintain morale, not only within the institution, but I think also within the community. It means so much to everyone. And I think the comments from the patients reflect this, to know that, that, that this is an institution they can rely on, that this is an institution that will always be by their side no matter what happens. And it's, it's just remarkable the way you've been able to do what you've done and I think it's wonderful that this report so um, accurately reflects all the things you've accomplished and uh, all the things that I know you'll accomplish going forward so it's a real privilege to watch you in action it's a privilege to be on the JCC and I will look forward to um, the progress as we move out of the stressful era into uh, a better one Thank you, Vice President Green. Um, Dr. Ehrlich, I would like to say, uh, first of all, congratulations on the 150th anniversary. We do not want that to go uh, without its appropriate fanfare and celebration, so we're all very proud. Um, thank you for providing this very concise and informative uh, report about the excellent work that is done every day at the general, uh, particularly by sharing by the numbers. I also want to express on a very personal level in my professional role as Chief of Staff to Speaker Pelosi how grateful um, we all are, my entire team, as well as the family, for just the excellent, compassionate care that Mr. Pelosi received at, at, at San Francisco General Hospital, uh, from the trauma team to the ICU staff to the surgery staff. We could not be more grateful for the life-saving care that he received. And as a commission president and as a San Franciscan, I am so proud of what the general provides to all San Franciscans. So thank you very much. I, um, 
I, I feel very privileged to accept all these beautiful comments on behalf of my team. And just to say, it is true we have an exceptional team who does this work, and it would not be possible without the support of this commission, the department, and the city overall. Um, so I want to I want to uh, acknowledge gratitude from all of us for that as well. Thank you. Thank you, Director Colfax. So thank you. I just want to. Um uh, thank you and, and acknowledge the accolade, the well-deserved accolades that you and the team and the hospital are receiving. Again, congratulations on 150 years. And Susan, just to say that you yourself and your entire leadership team really uh, epitomize uh, servant leadership and to thank you for that and thank you and your team for the contributions and work you're not only doing the hospital, but the contributions that, that you and, and your team continue to make uh, across DPH and across the city because uh, your work, uh, your philosophy, your commitment, um, and the structures and outcomes um, that you put into place really inform so much of the work that we do across the department. And from COVID to other issues in the department, many, many members of your team are not only leaders at the hospital, but they are also leaders across the entire department. So thank you so much uh, for everything that you do in keeping San Francisco uh, healthy and safe. Thank you so very much, it means a lot. Thank you. With that, we will move on to our next item, which is the FY 2021-22 ZSFG Environment of Care Annual Report. Back to Dr. Ehrlich. Thank you, President Bruno. Note that the, um, the ZSFG JCC meeting did recommend approval of this report at its October 25th meeting this year. Yes, thank you, uh, Mark. And uh, I'm here to answer questions, um, and we have uh, members of the team online uh, to answer questions as well. This is an action item. Oh, the, sorry, this is an action item. Uh, pardon me. Uh, so approval is uh, requested. Uh, do we have a motion to approve? I would move for approval. Second. All right, uh, Secretary Morowitz, do we have anyone on the public comment line? Right, folks on the public comment line, if you have a comment um, uh, or comments about item six, which is the ZSFG Environment of Care Annual Report, this is the time to make those comments. Item six. I see no hands. So uh, may I do a roll call vote, Commissioner? Yes, thank you. Um, Commissioner Green? Yes. Commissioner Chow? Yes. Commissioner Gerardo? Yes. And Commissioner Bernal? Yes. All right, the item is approved. Thank you. Okay, item number seven, also for action, is the, hus the policy 8.09 uh, hospital plan for provision of patient care. Um, again, uh, back to Dr. Susan Ehrlich, and this is an item for action. Um, I don't know if any discussion is needed before moving to a motion, but we would certainly entertain a motion. No, but I'd like to make the same comment that at a different meeting, the, um, the, at the November 22nd meeting, the ZSFG JCC recommended this for the full commission to approve. And thank you for the leadership of the JCC. Do you have a motion to approve? I would move to approval. I would second. Any public comment? Folks on the line, this is your, uh, this is item seven, policy 8.09, hospital plan for provision of patient care. If you'd like to make comment on this, please press star three. Star three. I see no hands. 
All right, we can move to a roll call vote. Sure, Commissioner Chow? Yes. Commissioner Green? Yes. Commissioner Gerardo? Yes. And Commissioner Bernal? Yes. Thank you, the item is approved. All right, and I believe our final item for action uh, related to ZSFG is policy 17.01, performance improvement and patient safety programs. Um, back to Secretary Morowitz for his comment. Yes, uh, at the same meeting on November 22nd, the JCC also recommended the full commission approve this policy. Right. And, and just noting for the public and for the record, the JCC members dive in deep and yes. the discussions are uh, dense and very detailed. So w when they approve it, they've done their due diligence. Yes, absolutely. Uh, do we have a motion to approve? So moved. Second. We will call vote. Commissioner Gerardo. Yes, and I just wanted to, I have my hand up, make a quick comment. Oh, Thank I'm you. Uh, to the staff who responded to the questions I had um, promptly, and I'm very appreciative. And yes, I approve. Oh, thank you, and I'm sorry for missing your hand. Uh, Commissioner Chow? Yes. Commissioner Green? Yes. And Commissioner Bernal? Yes, again, with thanks to the JCC for their uh, exhaustive review of all of the items that, on which we're taking action today. Great, this, uh, this item also is approved. All right, our next item, thank you, Dr. Ehrlich, is approval of the minutes of the Health Commission meeting of November 15th, 2022. Commissioners, you have the minutes before you. Upon review, if there are no amendments, do we have a motion to approve? I so move and to approve. Uh, folks on the line, if you'd like to make comment on item nine, the approval of the uh, November 15th, 2022 meeting minutes, please press star three now. Star three. Seeing no commissioner comments or questions, we'll move to a roll call vote. Okay. Um, I'm just trying to make sure we have time so there's no complaints of not letting people have their hands raised. Commissioner Chow. Yes. Oh, sorry. Commissioner Green. Yes. Commissioner Gerardo. Yes. And Commissioner Bernal. Yes. Great. Uh, the item's approved as well. Okay. Our next item is the director's report. For this, we have Director of Health, Dr. Grant Colfax. Well, thank you, uh, President Bernal, and th uh, good evening, Health Commissioners. I appreciate uh, being here. I have the written director's report in front of you, and I did want to start out the director's report with uh, just some, some comments um, to provide you with a status update on uh, the DPH wellness hubs. Uh, with the TLC closing and uh, with uh, uh, varying press reports, regarding behavioral health, I wanted to take this opportunity to set the record straight. Our stated intention, DPH's stated intention, was to open a wellness hub by the end of this calendar year. However, there remain log logistical and legal challenges that will prevent this from happening. Specifically, there, there remain multiple legal barriers at the local, state, and national level. First, and this includes the Department of Justice has yet to articulate a path forward with regard to establishing safe consumption sites. And as we know, Governor Newsom vetoed legislation that would have allowed us to move forward with a transparent plan and providing care. Our policy goal remains the same, to open wellness hubs tailored to improve the health and wellness of people who use drugs 
when we can get the legal barriers resolved. Wellness hubs are a policy priority to save lives and reduce harms associated with drug use. They are a key component and one component of the department's four-part comprehensive overdose prevention plan. And to remind the commissioners that this plan consists of expanding access to the continuum of services for substance use, including treatment with buprenorphine and methadone, increasing social support for people at risk of overdose, and improving the conditions in communities where drug use occurs. This includes offering low threshold outpatient medications for addiction treatments and expanding those services at more sites, including urgent care, homeless shelters, and on the street, while continuing to expand residential treatment programs to deliver timely and appropriate level of care for people ready to enter programs. In 2021, more than 4,500 individuals with substance use disorders receive services such as residential treatment, outpatient care, withdrawal management, and opioid treatments. Those are 4,500 individuals in DPH services. More individuals are receiving treatment with buprenorphine due to expanded hours at the office-based buprenorphine induction clinic, which as the commission knows is at 1380 Howard, and behavioral health services pharmacies and innovative delivery of buprenorphine to high-risk settings and in areas with little pharmacy access. We are adding 70 new residential step-down beds in 2023. These overnight beds add to the city's expanding residential treatment program for mental health and substance use disorders. And we are now two-thirds on the goal of establishing 400 new beds to provide timely and appropriate levels of care across the system. In 2022, more than 24,000 kits of naloxone have been distributed by DPH, and over 2,000 individuals have been trained in overdose recognition and naloxone use in the past three months, in the past three months alone. This effort has saved lives. Naloxone distribution sites reported 9,429 overdose reversals in 2021, more than doubling the 4,300 reversals in 2020. In addition, the street overdose response team has responded to more than 1,600 calls involving people from August 21 to August 22. For those, and those calls were those who survived a known or suspected overdose and were provided opportunities to be linked to care services and follow-up. In coordination with the San Francisco AIDS Foundation, we launched a new community drug checking program that can identify the presence of fentanyl among other drugs to help reduce overdose. Our overdose plan, our DPH overdose plan, as the commission knows, sets goals of reducing overdoses in San Francisco by 15% in 2025, reducing racial disparities in overdose deaths by 30%, and increasing the number of people receiving medications for addiction treatment by 30% in 2025. And again, wellness hubs are a key component of that four-part plan. They remain a policy priority for the department, and we await legal guidance in order to move forward with opening these wellness centers as soon as possible. So I will now turn to the written director's report in front of you. 
um, to provide, I'll, I'll go through the written items fairly quickly, happy to take any questions. Really uh, good news from the Population Health Division, which was recently awarded a five-year $11.9 million CDC Public Health Infrastructure Grant. And this was in part supported by the American Rescue Act. Uh, CDC issued the Notice of Funding Opportunity for Strengthening U.S. Public Health Infrastructure, Workforce, and Data Systems. In response, DPH's Population Health Division, Center for Learning and Innovation, and stakeholders from across the division developed a highly collaborative proposal uh, that is titled Project Invest, which stands for Innovations that Value Equity and Strengthen Teams. And this 12, uh, nearly $12 million grant, again, was awarded uh, to, to the Population Health Division. We look forward to reporting to you on uh, progress in that regard. I was also very uh, excited to join the Population Health uh, Team at City Clinic uh, to celebrate the unveiling of a new mural, uh, which was done in collaboration with Presita's I, Presita Eyes Muralist. Uh, SF City Clinic, as you know, is an outpatient clinic whose goal is to prevent, diagnose, and treat sexually transmitted infections and HIV, as well as serve the sexual health needs of San Francisco. And uh, this clinic now has a beautiful uh, external mural covering the whole front of the building. Um, it's changed the whole tenor of when you walk into the clinic. It, the, the, the mural celebrates health and wellness, and I would encourage uh, the commissioners to uh, stop by and look at this uh, really inspiring work of art, which again reinforces the direct link between uh, the beauty of art and improving uh, health, health and wellness. I also was, I, I'm excited to uh, uh, report that San Francisco uh, DPH, DPH is offering, in collaboration with Supervisor Mandelman, Supervisor Connie Chan, and the Office of the Tax Collector are, have, have created a payment plan option to assist small businesses, mostly restaurants and food-related industry businesses, which we know have been highly impacted by COVID-19, uh, to, to continue to operate with valid licenses as long as they enter into a payment plan by April 30th of 2023. And this is another example as uh, we continue to uh, learn to live with COVID, how uh, the health department is supporting efforts that may not be directly in, in the health lane, but that we are uh, able to support with other partners, uh, businesses that, that have, have, have struggled through, through this very uh, difficult time. And then finally in the written report was I'm really excited to join the Getting to Zero uh, coalition on World AIDS Day, uh, raising awareness around HIV and AIDS and honoring and remembering those who have uh, died from the disease. Um, this year was uh, very, uh, it was exciting to review the uh, progress that is made with regard to HIV. Also emphasizing the connections of the lessons learned from HIV and the leadership of the Getting to Zero Consortium with regard to our successful response to MPOX. And then also per the earlier um, uh, comments that I made about overdose, really um, ensuring that we are investing and being intentional around taking the lessons learned from the getting to zero expertise to apply it to the, the epidemic of overdose uh, that we continue to unfortunately uh, have in this city. And then uh, I will go to the, COVID, to the COVID update slides. If they could bring those up. 
So this is a quick overview. The commission's very familiar with the format now, so I will go quickly. Thank you. Next slide. So this is with regard to our San Francisco COVID cases per 100,000 residents. And as I think the commission is aware, we are in a uh, surge uh, now with cases going up. Uh, started going up before the Thanksgiving holiday weekend. They're um, continuing to go up rapidly now. And we see um, that that is reflective in the national um, situation as well. Right now, most experts believe that while this is obviously concerning, and unfortunately we still have uh, hundreds of people dying across the nation due to COVID-19, with uh, updated boosters um, and with the current, what we know about the current variant circulating that we do not anticipate uh, what we saw last year at this time, which is that incredibly high peak of that Omicron surge. But nevertheless, um, we want to ensure that everybody uh, eligible gets uh, boosted um, and that um, people take uh, precautions, including wearing masks according to uh, DPH and, and CDC guidelines. Next slide. You see here in reflection of those cases increasing, our hospitalizations have also increased. Uh, we have 90 people in the hospital with COVID. Again, that's far below our Omicron peak there at 286, but climbing uh, up uh, rapidly. I would also add that uh, the hospitalization numbers are uh, compounded by the fact that there are other respiratory uh, illnesses, specifically uh, the flu and RSV that are also severely impacting our emergency rooms and our hospital capacity. And, it, and that also, it's not just a matter of the physical beds, but it's also a matter of, of the staffing. So far, this is being managed across the city, including at, at Zuckerberg uh, San Francisco Hospital, but I just wanted to ensure that the commission had uh, that information as well. Next slide. And then uh, vaccine status shown on this slide, just at the bottom um, of this slide, you will see um, that we have 86% of the total population has completed their initial series. And I'm sorry, there's a, the camera's in, in, in the way of the far right of the, of the bivalent booster. I believe it's at 28 or 29%. I don't know if the commissioner, did I get it right? I see some people nodding. Oh, 28%, I, okay. So it's at 28%, um, not as high as we'd like it to be. And again, we're encouraging everybody to get uh, that, that booster, but you will see that while we're still um, lower than, than certainly ideal, we are far higher than the rest of, of the country on average. And you can see that the people most at risk for COVID-19 complications, those 65 and over, have gotten a higher percentage of this, of this bivalent vaccine. Next slide. And then in MPOX, um, a, a success uh, story due to so much of the work across uh, the, the city, including in the department and with so many uh, key partners, you see here now that our average MPOX new cases per day is zero which is um, very exciting to report. And you see our numbers have leveled off dramatically um, since uh, September. So um, great, great progress there. And we're continuing to offer uh, NPOX vaccines to um, those who, uh, for whom it is recommended. So I believe, oh, and, and the final slide is just recommendations going forward and, and conclusions. Our COVID rates have increased and we continue to improve uh, focus on improving vaccination, specifically booster rates. As I mentioned, um, we're, we're monitoring adult and pediatric hospital bed availability and communicating with the state about hospital capacity. Our recommendations to protect yourselves and others are shown on this slide. 
and um, we continue to work with the state to plan for the end of the state of emergency in February of 2023. Um, so that uh, concludes the COVID and MPOX update. I would just also add uh, that with regard to our work at Laguna Honda, as, as the commission knows, the team is working very hard to uh, recertify and collaborating with our uh, CMS, uh, uh, with CMS and with CDPH to ensure um, that uh, we, we continue to meet uh, the, the uh, requirements of the settlement agreement and uh, continuing to move forward in making progress in, in achieving um, uh, improvements in order to be uh, recertified per, again, the guidance of the settlement agreement and per CMS. So just wanted to uh, let the commission know about that as well. Happy to take any questions. Thank you for your attention. Thank you, Director Colfax. Uh, do you have any public comment? Yes, I see four hands. Folks, just to remind you, we're on item 10, the director's report. If you'd like to make comment, please press star three now. Each of you will get um, three minutes. And again, the comments need to be related to the um, director's report and the items listed on the agenda under the director's report. So uh, I will start with first caller. Hi, caller. Please let us know that you're there. Hi, yes. My name is Jennifer Lerner. I spoke earlier, but I wanted to speak again. I'm a member of Senior Disability Action in response to your director's report. I am so concerned with the lack of systemic policy interventions that are happening right now. This is unacceptable. People are dying. We need you to require masks. We know that you're just following what the Biden administration is saying. I know what you're doing is going against what you actually believe. We need moral courage. Recommending masks is not enough. I've gone to a number of doctor's appointments where masks are still required. People wear masks. I see stores where masks aren't required. People don't require masks. People are looking for guidance right now. They're looking for guidance. What is the point of public health if you're not preventing people from even getting sick in the first place? Bivalent booster uptake is so low. One of your justifications earlier about not requiring masks is you had high booster rates before the bivalent vaccine. Well, booster uptake is low. People are going to die on your watch if you don't intervene. I just, I don't know what else we need to do to get you guys to do the right thing. We call in so, we've called in so much, you know, earlier this year over the past few months. We say passionate things. People, well, commissioner asks one question and then you move on with your life. We need intervention now. Stop doing nothing. Actually start requiring masks, please. Thanks for your comments. Next caller, please let us know that you're there. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, please go, you've got three minutes. Hi, my, my name is Rhea Small. I'm an organizer with Senior and Disability Action, and I'm calling to respond to the director's report item on the COVID-19 update. And honestly, like it's looking at this report, it just looks like a health department that has completely given up on mitigating disease, and it's just disgraceful. I can't believe that this is San Francisco. I can't believe that you guys have done nothing ever since the state removed the mask mandate. In February, the city of San Francisco has not done a single thing to require masks, to ensure safety for anyone, let alone people who are high risk, seniors, people with disabilities, people with young kids, people who are forced to go into work every day. 
it's just it's just appalling. And the fact that test positivity in San Francisco is now 11%, at least it was last week when it was last updated. I don't know what it is now after Thanksgiving. And you guys can say we're in a surge and yet you're not gonna do anything about it. You're monitoring the fact that children are dying in Canada and on the East Coast because of lack of hospital capacity and because of RSV and flu and COVID and strep and a million other viruses. And all of these things could be prevented and mitigated by an indoor mask mandate, and yet you are refusing to even do that, not even on transit, not even in schools, not even in incredibly important public settings where people have to go every day. And I don't know what it's going to take. I don't think that, I just wonder how, how you all will feel telling your children and grandchildren that you are in this role during the worst public health crisis in a hundred years, and you sat there and watched people die and did nothing. Thank you for your comments. All right, next caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Um, I tried to speak earlier but um, I want to also respond to uh, the director's report. My name is Sarah and I'm with Senior and Disability Action. I'm calling in once again to urge you to bring back indoor masking. Like the previous callers stated, I do not know what it's going to take from you all. I just saw on the front page uh, right now of the San Francisco Chronicle, an article with the headline, COVID in California, hospital stresses now, quote, rival some of the hardest moments of the pandemic. As Eric Topol said, in many U.S. states, such as New York and California, the rate of COVID hospitalizations for seniors now exceeds the BA5, BA2, and Delta wave. There's so many stats I could list right now, um, and experts across the board are predicting another brutal winter surge. And when you add what's going on with the flu and RSV on top of it, it's a total nightmare triple-demic. We've known for quite some time now that while vaccines are an incredibly important tool to protect ourselves, vaccines alone are not enough. And the booster rates in California, like what was said in the director's report, is quite low. The and especially as mitigation measures have continuously dropped and vaccine-evasive variants keep emerging, it is long overdue for universal masking to be reinstated. Wishing the pandemic away won't make it go away. Falling back to, well, CDC guidance says is essentially the equivalent of thoughts and prayers. Costing normalcy will only do more harm and keep us on an endless loop of mass infection, disability, and death. It's been three years, three years, and we need our public health officials to truly step up. There's a saying that goes, if they wanted to, they would. And all I've seen from the SF Department of Health is lousy excuses and abdication of responsibility. It's honestly cowardly and pathetic. So to end my comment, public comment, I'll leave it at this. If you really wanted to do everything possible to keep us all safe, you would reinstate indoor masking. Okay, thank you for your comments. Uh, caller, you're muted. Please let us know that you're there. I am as Patrick Manatshot. Okay, you've got three minutes. Thank you. It was shocking just now hearing Director Colfax mention the DPH's meeting 
um, terms in the settlement agreement. It was shocking precisely because of my earlier testimony mentioning that the root cause analysis report couldn't be found by public records staff last Friday. In order to keep Laguna Honda open, observers have been hoping DPH and Laguna Honda were meeting CMS deadlines. Did you really miss the deadline to submit the root cause analysis report? The Health Commission should look into why the root cause report was not located and whether it was submitted to CMS by the December 1 deadline. DPH is just playing a delay game by not releasing that report instead of being fully transparent, taking a page apparently from Donald Trump's delaying tactics 101 playbook. It seems DPH is choosing secrecy to cover up potentially losing greatly needed skilled nursing facility services in San Francisco. DPH and Laguna Honda have not demonstrated they know what they are doing. It's long past time they be more honest and transparent with the public they serve. How long is it gonna take before members of the public get to see that root cause analysis report? Why isn't the Health Commission jumping up and down during this meeting and asking where the hell that report is? Thank you. Thanks for your comments. All right, next caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Hi there, SF resident and educator calling back in. Um, I want to note that Director Colfax said our cases are climbing up rapidly and the ERs and hospitals are severely compounded by multiple airborne viruses. I want to remind you all, you people wearing masks right now, that masking helps with this. Requiring masking helps with this. Lastly, I ask you to stop typing on your phones while we're talking. Um, you hold our lives in your hands. Unless if you're typing, oh my God, we definitely need to start masking right now, require masking now. Please respect us. It's the least you could do. Listen to what we're saying. Um, anyways, require masking indoors, provide masks indoors, provide masks in safe, accessible places, having access to masks at our pharmacies that are um, dangerous because you don't require masks is not helpful. Anyways, like you said, our cases are rising and our hospitals are severely compounded. I suggest you do something instead of asking us to just keep taking action for ourselves. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. I believe we have one more public comment. Hi, please let us know that you're there. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, please go. You've got three minutes. Yes. Hi, my name is Elizabeth. I'm a member of Senior Disability Action, and I commented earlier, but I wanted to comment on this uh, director's report. You know, just hearing so much um, cognitive dissonance here, it's really bizarre. I, I mean, you guys realize that this is a problem, and then it seems as if you're also 
sort of strangely in denial about what's happening. Um, you know, I, I just wanted to comment on boosters specifically because we all we all know that that's an important piece of this, um, although they can't do everything. But um, but with boosters. Uh, I don't know what the city, what action the city is taking, if anything, right now in terms of a booster campaign. I haven't heard anything about that. I know that San Francisco, that that's a really low percentage of people who who have been boosted, and just considering how many people's boosters have already worn off, um, and how many are basically like not effective anymore, um, you really just I, you've got to take more action there. And also, it's too much to put like all of the emphasis on vac on the vaccines, which are amazing, but can't do all the heavy lifting. We have to have a multi-layered strategy. Vaccines are an important part of that. We also have to bring back indoor masking and have to take other mitigation measures. Um, and I just don't know what it's going to take for you to take more action. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and there are a few more hands that popped up, commissioners. Um, give me one second to figure it out. Okay, next caller. Hi, caller. Please let us know that you're there. Hello, caller? Okay. And I believe we have one more. Let's make sure. Uh, please. Hi, caller. Uh, I don't believe you've spoken yet. Are you there? Oh, can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, hello, commissioners. My name is uh, Norman Degelman, and I'm a longtime resident of San Francisco. Please save Laguna Hana Hospital with all its beds intact and to fund alternatives for those who need care in other settings. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, and commissioners, that is the last comment. All right. Thank you to all the callers for uh, sharing with us your concerns and perspectives on matters in the director's report. Commissioners, do you have any comments or questions on the director's report? I am not seeing hands. Uh, Commissioner Green. Commissioner Green. Yeah, well, thank you for all that information, especially about uh, where we stand with the TLC in the future there. Um, I, I was wondering if, if maybe in the future reports we can get a more comprehensive view of especially pediatric hospitalizations with RSV. I think there's a lot of confusion about RSV in terms of you know, who's at greatest risk and you know, what, the, what the prognosis is, the percentage of children who get truly ill. And I wondered if maybe, uh, you know, I'm not sure even if that's, those data are available if you look at all the hospital systems within the city, including Kaiser, but it might be helpful for us to get an overall picture, especially as you know, the flu season starts to ramp up. And of course, we've talked about COVID. Thank you, Commissioner Green. I appreciate that. And I will uh, loop back with the team to determine whether that's feasible and, 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 um, and, and get back to the commission on that. Great. Really appreciate it. I mean, it may not be possible to get all these data, but it, it, it would help us give a sense, have a sense for where we stand, especially for the children, I think. Thank you, Commissioner Green. Commissioner Chow. Oh, thank you. Uh, I was wondering, uh, in regards to the uh, COVID situation and the question of 
indoor masking that uh, is uh, back in the press again from Los Angeles, as you've uh, as has been mentioned uh, earlier, and uh, even other jurisdictions. What we are using as guidelines and perhaps a further discussion as to uh, what uh, uh, we're going to be doing, uh, are there some uh, you know parameters that we are following? We know that hospitalization is one of them in terms of accessibility to beds. And uh, you've noted that uh, we still have not actually gotten to that point yet, although uh, we're uh, you know, looking carefully at it and the hospitals are working at making sure that they still have capacity, especially as the uh, respiratory season is increasing. So I'm just wondering if there are then some uh, discussion guidelines that we could get from uh, Dr. Phillip or uh, others uh, in the department as to what we are following now as parameters. Thank you, Commissioner Chow, and um, certainly we can uh, provide uh, that information. I, 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 unfortunately, I can't see who's on um, remotely now. I, I don't know if Dr. Phillip would be able to just provide a little context if she's available um, online. Dr. Phillip is here and she unmuted herself. So she Great, thank you, Dr. Phillip. Thank you, uh, Dr. Colfax, and, and uh, good evening, Commissioners. I apologize I'm not able to turn my camera on this evening, um, but I, I do appreciate I've been listening to the comments, and, and uh, I appreciate your question, Commissioner Chow. And, um, you know, we, I, I am thinking and we're, we're looking at this, uh, at the process and the current situation with hospitalizations. I will say that one of the challenges uh, right now is that it is not solely uh, COVID or even solely respiratory viruses that are driving some of the, the, the uh, hospital capacity, the, the fullness of our hospitals in San Francisco. So um, only implementing a, a masking uh, requirement might help somewhat, but is not likely to be the sole answer here. And um, so there, there are lots of, of things to, um, uh, to consider. And uh, we have a variety, of, a variety of contributing factors. I do understand people's concern. Um, we do continue to uh, want to promote um, receiving the updated bivalent boosters across the population. And although we are outstripping California and the United States as a whole, I do agree with the callers that we uh, want to continue to encourage and increase the uptake of those uh, updated boosters. And we do recommend uh, masking um, for, for people who are out and about um, as we see the virus uh, uh, viruses for COVID and, and flu um, all increasing. So we're working and talking closely with the state and with the region about, uh, about this as well. But for now, we, we do have these recommendations in place. And I am continuing to think about the parameters. But I, I do feel that currently we're in a different situation than we were um, in past winters where it was largely COVID, that was the concern that was uh, driving the um, high rates of um, high capacity uh, or high, high admissions and low capacity in our hospitals. It's much more multifactorial now. Thank you, Dr. Phillip. Uh, commissioners, any other questions or comments? Dr. Colfax and Dr. Uh, Dr. Colfax and Dr. Phillip, I did seek one clarification, and perhaps if we don't have this information now, we can share it at the next meeting. But um, looking at the number of cases within uh, hospitals, a number of those are infections that are, were, were uh, 
people who were detected having COVID, not because they were symptomatic and entered the hospital for that reason, but entered the hospital for another reason and were tested and, and were found to have uh, asymptomatic COVID, correct? That, that is mostly correct. They could have COVID symptoms and, and still be in the hospital for other reasons, but not need to be in the hospital for COVID. The other thing that this represents, uh, this includes transfers uh, from outside hospitals. So. Thank you, Director Colfax. Commissioners, other questions or comments? Uh, I don't if see any not, we can move on to our next item. Thank you, Director Colfax. Uh, which is an action item. It's a resolution making findings to allow teleconference meetings under California Government Code Section 54953E. This resolution will look familiar to the commissioners and others. We pass it every month in order to be able to conduct our meetings either uh, in a hybrid format or virtually. Uh, commissioners, do we have a motion to approve? I so move approval. Second. Is there any public comment? Sure, folks on the line, if you'd like to make comment on item 11, um, the resolution we're considering, which uh, basically allows us, uh, the commission, to um, participate in hybrid meetings, please press star three. Seeing no hands, I'll go to roll call vote. Commissioner Gerardo? Yes. Commissioner Green? Yes. Commissioner Chow? Yes. And Commissioner Bernal? Yes. I did just see a hand pop up. Do you mind if we take that public comment, even though the vote has already been taken? Because That's fine. That could yes. Have been a technological thing. Yes. Okay. Um, first on the line, um, again, comments about item 11. You're unmuted. Hello, commissioners. Yes, it's uh, regarding item 11. It's important that hybrid meetings continue as long as COVID continues to be a problem. I could not get, be able to safely get to the meeting as they don't require masks on BART. I don't have a car. And a one-line masking as uh, the Slate article titled why one-line masking isn't a very good public health uh, 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 policy um, or something very similar um, uh, explains that even if you're wearing a well-fitting mask, uh, others, if you're inside with others who are unmasked, you risk getting COVID, and I personally know people who do, including a good friend of mine, um, uh, Lisa, who is wearing um, a high filtration mask and got in a shared area in her apartment building. Uh, the other thing which is important to mention is a number of us have raised our hands our, by pressing star three, including me, uh, at least once and we're not called on. For me, it was twice. Um, there needs to be a way to fix the system. I would like to be able to make comment on at least one of those items that I wasn't able to because uh, I wasn't called on even though I pressed R3 um, uh, promptly. Would that be okay? I'm sorry, could you say that again? You pressed R3 when? Yes, I pressed R3 um, for the uh, director's report and was not called on. I also pressed R3 for the general comment period and was not called from, and I pressed it promptly. There were two other people uh, who pressed R3 for the general comment period and were not called on. I also had this problem once in a, a meeting beforehand. There needs to be a way where we all can get public testimony, especially since many of us, including me, can't safely make it to your meetings to be able to uh, give testimony in person. I'm not sure what to say. Uh, um, I, I appreciate yeah. your concern. Uh, I have no idea technologically what to say because you your hand is raised and you got called on now. But um, you're. I mean, we're Thank not you, Secretary Morowitz. At, at this time, we will be taking public comment on the agenda item before us. 
Um, in the future, we will be encouraging callers to raise their hand when the item is introduced in order to uh, prevent any issues around a delay of a hand raise being seen. And Commissioner Bernal, I do say that at, at, in my comments at the beginning of my script. Yes, yes, thank you. All right, so. Uh, yes, um, I actually did press it in the beginning and just very quickly regarding the director's report. Oh, um, no, 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 uh, no, this is not that item. I'm gonna mute you now. Thank you for your comment. Okay, we're gonna move on to um, the next hand. Again, this is for comments for item 11 about this resolution. You're unmuted, please let us know that you're there. Hi, can you uh, hear me? Yes. This is about um, hybrid um, this meeting, This is about a, the correct? resolution making findings to allow teleconference meetings under California Government Code Section 54953E. It's a resolution. Okay, great. Thanks. Yeah, I just wanted to um, echo what the previous caller said and say that I think it's really important to continue um, the ability to have hybrid meetings, especially because, um, like they said, it's it's not safe um, for a lot of us to come in and make public comment, especially, especially like a lot of us have mentioned <laughs> earlier, we're still very much in a COVID pandemic. We're in a triple-demic right now with RSV and the flu. And, um, you know, government and public health officials have failed all of us. We're not, you know, it's, the, it's put on the individual to keep ourselves safe. And it's simply not safe for a lot of high-risk people. And frankly, everyone, um, everyone's at risk. Um, to just come in. And so it's, I, it's really important to hear from people like us, higher risk members of the community, um, because our voices are incredibly valuable. And as uncomfortable as it might be to hear what we might have to say, um, you need to hear it because otherwise you're just living in a bubble and that bubble, need, bubble needs to be popped again and again and again. That's all I have to say. All right, those are the two comments on the resolution. You've already voted, so the item has been approved. All right, thank you, callers. Um, our next item is a Finance and Planning Committee update followed by an action item, which is approval of the consent calendar. Uh, Commissioner Chow, uh, Chair of the Finance and Planning Committee, or to, uh, will be making the presentation on behalf of the Finance and Planning Committee. Right, uh, thank you. The, um, Finance Committee did not have a quorum, but I did take questions, and I thought it might be useful just to describe each of the contracts uh, for you, and I had uh, my uh, questions answered satisfactorily, which I think then the Commission will feel, uh, hopefully, that they can uh, pass the contracts report. Uh, uh, the items are interesting, and I will uh, take them up because a lot of them actually deal with services that we have been talking about or that we have been looking at as possibilities, and some of the finances is coming for you here. Uh, the first one is Lutheran Social Services of Northern California, and they actually are like a fiscal intermediary. Uh, Please go on, Commissioner. Oh, okay. Uh, it's a fiscal intermediary contract uh, for uh, 
$1.7 million with contingency. Uh, this is a contract that is uh, being requested to be extended for the next three years. And the uh, amount of the difference over the next three years is only about 2%. So um, we didn't find, uh, I didn't find any uh, issues uh, for the work that they were doing, which was uh, fine. The Shanty project is the next contract. It's a proposed contract uh, that uh, would uh, be for uh, a extension. Uh, well, what they do, of course, in this contract is uh, to provide emotional uh, and psychological support for the low-income homeless with HIV and AIDS. Uh, in this case, there is also an additional amount of money uh, which was added back by the Board of Supervisors the um, amount that is uh, being requested at the moment is uh, $950,000 annually, or a difference of $113,000, most of which $90,000 was, in fact, a Board of Supervisors, um, and a, uh, uh, a uh, increased contract for uh, uh, the uh, coming, well, no, it, it, it's actually, uh, uh, following in the uh, same numbers of years. So it's to add the extra uh, amounts of money uh, from the Board of Supervisors. Item number three is a registry uh, network uh, contract, which allows uh, the uh, uh, General Hospital to actually have uh, uh, the services of radiology technicians and so forth uh, that uh, will fill in for people who are missing um, they uh, then uh, will be supporting not just uh, regular radiology, but also the MRI and CT scans. It's a previous contract now being extended. Uh, and uh, the, the next contract is actually uh, from the Curry or for the Curry Senior Center. And it's a current contract that would go from uh, $4.6 million to nine million. Five million, with an extension of five years. Uh, the annual difference is one hundred and forty-five thousand. A part of that is for a substance abuse navigator of one hundred and eleven thousand. Uh, parts of this will be rebid when the authority under the RFP runs out. But um, this will uh, allow a continuation of services over this period of time. The uh, Fourth contract, uh, well, fifth contract, rather, I guess, uh, fourth or fifth, is actually the Episcopal Community Services from Behavioral Health. And this is uh, a service that will be uh, going from a current contract of $6.9 million to $17 million uh, over an uh, additional uh, six-year period. It actually goes on an annual basis from 1.3 million to 1.7 million. The extra amount of money is actually approximately 332,000 from a work order, which uh, I believe you would be interested in. Is because this then actually adds to a new program uh, service for our new senior permanent supportive housing that has opened at 1064 to 1068 mission. Staff was quite enthusiastic that actually this will be new services then 
and take people from uh, some of the uh, uh, temporary housing, uh, hotels, and so forth, uh, part of the homeless that now will have, uh, for the seniors, would have a permanent housing situation. So these are the uh, uh, behavioral health services that will be offered there. So that's the reason for the increase, and it's from the Episcopal Community Services who then will be adding that to uh, their block of services and an extension of about um, six, uh, about uh, six more years to from uh, 2022 to uh, 2028. Some of these services have already started, uh, uh, such as the Drug Sobering Center that I want to talk about next, and the department recognizes, uh, administration has recognized that some of these are retroactive in services, but with the uh, difficulties that the uh, offices had, including changes of uh, uh, administrators and all, they are trying to correct that so that we will have uh, less retroactivity on the uh, such major contracts. The next major contract is one that I think uh, the uh, commission will be interested in. This is the uh, Health Right 360 that funds the SOMA rise that we have all heard about. And in fact, then, uh, this is one of those retroactive but this contract is going from 5.9 that HealthRight has to an additional amount that will then equal a $9.8 million contract. On an annual basis, this goes from 2.1 million to about 5.2 million. And this increase is actually due to the uh, SOMA RISE project that HealthCare, uh, that HealthRight 360 is undertaking. Uh, Dr. David Pading, our former commissioner and now with the Behavioral Health Services, uh, explained that in fact this is a pilot program that uh, will uh, be uh, working with uh, those who may be intoxicated, needing care, and uh, those with substance use uh, to be able to provide them uh, linkages to services and at the same time also um, that they have learned from the uh, TLC, that hospitality services were very important, that this will also be provided. Uh, they have uh, uh, added uh, uh, linkages, uh, well, I should say, added referrals that come from um, the uh, EMS, the fire and the police department. So it's kind of an expansion of what the TLC was in many of these services that are using the, some of their experiences, but that this is a, uh, one, uh, a certain way, a program that we have heard of, and here is where the funding is. Um, as I said, uh, it will uh, be uh, going to um, this uh, extra, uh, essentially $3 million for the uh, SOMA project. It's a one-year pilot. Uh, it began already in June. This is part of the retroactivity, uh, but uh, this then uh, allows for the formalization of the contract for their services. Uh, the Mission Council on Alcohol Abuse for Spanish uh, Speaking also has a contract before us, uh, which is an extension of their services for five years, and it adds about uh, uh, 96000 uh, Part of that will be for a substance use navigator that is being added to the uh, program. Uh, the the uh, 
last uh, contract is uh, one that is a Welsh Allen contract for San Francisco General for the use of, uh, for the purchase and service of uh, a Carnation ambulatory monitor uh, system uh, that will be used about 1900, uh, well, the, the devices will be used about 1900 times in a year. Uh, they've had a previous contract with uh, a, another company that essentially uh, Hillrom uh, through our uh, uh, Visint, which is the uh, University Purchasing Services, uh, a, a, a conglomeration nationwide. Uh, the reason it's going through Welsh Allen is because Hillron is now selling this product through Welsh Allen. So uh, that uh, was the uh, end of our uh, discussion on these eight contracts. And I'd be happy to take any questions before we move on to a consent calendar. And uh, if I may jump in, um, just commissioners, I want to make sure that you know that I checked with the city attorney and what we, uh, what Dr. Chow held today was an information session where he obviously discussed the contracts with staff that have uh, subject matter expertise and got the answers that he needed so he can make this, re this recommendation to you. That's number one. Number two, Dr. Chow also has a conflict with a, a Chinese hospital um, uh, and so is not able to vote today because there's only four of you. Um, someone needs to make a motion and then have a second to extract the Chinese hospital contract from the contracts report. That will be postponed. Uh, the voting on that will be, be postponed to another date, and then you all can vote on the contracts report as a whole minus that one contract. That's the first action we need before you can move forward. Thank you, Secretary Morowitz. Before we move on to a vote to the action item, which is item 13, do we have public comment on item 12? Folks online, if you'd like to make comment on item 12, please press star three now. Item 12 is the Finance and Planning Committee update. And again, the committee did not meet, but there was an information informational session held by uh, one of the commissioners. I see no hands. Commissioners, any comments or questions before we move to the next item? All right, we can move on to item 13, which is an action item uh, to uh, past the consent calendar. The consent calendar has been presented in detail by Commissioner Chow. Thank you, Commissioner Chow. Um, first, uh, I believe, Secretary Moritz, we need a motion to extract the Chinese hospital contract bef before a motion for the entire calendar. Yes. Okay. Do we have a motion to extract Chinese hospital from the consent calendar? So I so move. A second. Can take a roll call vote on that. Mm -hmm. um, Commissioner Chow? Yes. Commissioner Dorado? Yes. Commissioner Green? Yes. And Commissioner Bernal? Yes. Great. So the Chinese hospital contract's been extracted. The vote on um, the consent calendar cannot take part without that contract involved. Okay. Now we will entertain a motion to, uh, to approve the amended consent calendar after the removal of the Chinese hospital item. So moved. Second. Do you have any public comment? Uh, folks online, if you'd like to make comment on item 13, the consent calendar, please press star three. Again, star three. No hands, so I'll do a roll call vote. Commissioner Green? Yes. Commissioner Chow? Yes. Commissioner Gerardo? Yes. And Commissioner Brown? Yes. All right, the item passes. All right, our next item is other business. Commissioners, do we have any other business?
Seeing no hands raised, then we'll move on to our oh, next. Actually, oh. sir, if I may check public comment. Yes, sir. Um, uh, folks online, if you'd like to make comment on item 14, other business, please press star three. All right, no hands. You may move on. Okay, then our next item is a joint conference committee reports. We'll hear a brief summary of the November 22nd ZSFG JCC meeting. I will yield to the chair, Commissioner Chow. Uh, the uh, meeting uh, took up the presentations that you have uh, received today uh, and in closed session discussed the PIPS report and the credentials report, which they passed. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Commissioner Chow. Our next item is clo a closed session. Commissioners, do we have a motion to go into closed session? I so move to go into closed session. Second. And, uh, may I check public comment? Yes, please. Folks on the line, if you'd like to make comment on item 16 um, about a closed session for the commission, please press star three. All right, no hands, so I'll do a roll call vote. Commissioner Chow? Yes. Commissioner Green? Yes. Commissioner Gerardo? Yes. And Commissioner Bernal? Yes. Great. So folks on the line are watching. Um, please know that the commission will be back um, after its brief closed session. While they're in closed session, you will not be able to hear or see them, but, we'll, but we will be back to adjourn the meeting. Commissioners, please give me about 30 seconds to take us over to the closed session. In open session, commissioners do have a motion whether to disclose or not disclose any or all discussions held on the closed session. Move not to disclose. Is there a second? Second. Any public comment? Uh, any fo folks on the line, if you'd like to make comment on a vote to actually, you know what? I'm sorry, there's not public comment on this item because oh, it's thank you. closed session. That's my fault. All right, um, let's. So we'll do a vote. Uh, Commissioner Chow? Yes. Commissioner uh, Gerardo? Yes. Um, Commissioner um, Green? Yes. And Commissioner Bernal? Yes. All right. And then the final is uh, consideration for adjournment. Okay. Before we do consider a motion to adjourn, thank you again to Dr. Susan Ehrlich, the uh, CEO of Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital, and to your entire team for your excellent work over the past year and beyond. We look forward to joining you in person next year for our annual meeting. Um, and again, our great thanks. All right. Do we have a motion to adjourn? I so move to adjourn the meeting. Second. All right, I'll start with you, Commissioner Gerardo. Yes. Commissioner Green. Yes. Commissioner Chow. Yes. And Commissioner Bernal. Yes. All right, thank you all. Thank you. Bye, everyone.